Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest's individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening, and welcome to the Bright Not Broken radio show on the Coffee Clatch Network. We are very excited to be here this evening after a slight technical glitch we had. We are talking about visual spatial abilities with a very special guest this evening, Dr. Jonathan Way. He is with the Duke Talent Identification Program. He's a researcher and a writer. He is um, an expert on the development of intellectual and creative talent. He's involved in research in the areas of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math area, and how many spatially talented students are neglected by the typical school systems. He also um, is investigating um, the systems that keep our kids, sometimes the spatially um, visual children, out of colleges by uh, the SAT and the ACT, the typical college entrance exams. We're going to discuss that tonight because there are a brilliant group of individuals who tend to be left outside of higher education's gates, as Dr. Wei has written about um, on his blog, Finding the Next Einstein, Why Smart is Relative for Psychology Today. We are so excited to have you here and to talk about this really important subject. Welcome, Dr. Wei. Thank you so much for having me. We, um, we're we going to start off tonight, and Rebecca is with us also. Hi, Diane. Hi, John. Hi. Good to have everybody back, and we will stay strong tonight and um, pray for the best. <laughs> okay. Hopefully no technical difficulties this evening. We'd like to start out by just getting a little bit of background, Dr. Way. If you would tell us, Jonathan, um, mm-hmm. explain for our listeners what are visual spatial abilities and what specifically is spatial intelligence? So spatial intelligence uh, you know, has many different facets, but... Speaking about it generally, it's basically the the ability to mentally rotate um, figures and shapes in one's mind, so being able to um, rotate them in three dimensions. And some examples of people um, who have been highly visual spatial would be Nikola Tesla. Um, He's supposedly been able to um, mentally visualize an engine and be able to test each part um, to see which part would actually break first over time, which is an amazing feat of mental imagery. Um, Another example would be Albert Einstein, um, whose thought experiments were extremely visual. Another example would be Jeff Bezos, uh, the tech billionaire, um, the founder of Amazon.com. When he was a kid, he actually tried to take apart his crib with a screwdriver, 
Um, he actually rigged his uh, room to keep his an alarm system to keep his siblings out, and now he's actually building a 10,000-year uh, clock that's going to reside deep within a mountainside. So those are some examples of people who are highly spatial and very gifted. Wow. Well, and as we talk about um, our education system that is centered around reading, writing, and math, and around just the basic core curriculum, I think that's an area where I'm going to let Rebecca take over since she is in the education field and um, and talk about how um, these kids really are different and they don't tend to sometimes do as well in our core subjects. Well, thank you, Diane. One thing I found interesting when um, I was reading one of your articles, Jonathan, is that you say that um, while it's socially unacceptable or educationally unacceptable to say that you can't read, mm-hmm. that it is still somewhat acceptable or fairly acceptable, actually, to say that you're not good at math. Um, can you explain why you think that it's, it is acceptable and why you think that this is a problem? Well, I, I definitely think it's a problem. I mean, math is certainly important for um, the future of America in terms of um, we need mathematicians, we need engineers, we need physicists, we need all these people to create things, and and math is really the backbone of that. Um, and I do think that it's socially acceptable to be too bad at math in America, and I don't know why that is. We have shows like Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader, you know, and adults <laughs> get up there and, and people laugh, and we all laugh because we relate to the person who can't, you know, add and subtract, um, the person who can't multiply. And it's it's something where I think it's just a social acceptance issue where culturally we're just okay with that, I think, and, and that seems to be a problem in my view. Well, let me follow up and ask, too, do you think it's a gender issue? Because typically um, the, the stereotypes are that girls are not as good in math, yet um, have you found in your studies um, that females are as equally spatially talented as males, or is there still an imbalance in the genders? So so based on the sex differences research on abilities, and, and when I'm talking, I'm talking mainly about the far-right tail or the gifted population, top 5% or, or higher than that. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely sh- uh, still see differences between males and females, where males have an advantage in math and spatial, um, but females have an advantage in verbal. So um, it, it, mm-hmm. it cuts different ways, I think. Okay. And then the other thing that, um, as a teacher, that interests me so much is how do we, I mean, it's easy to see a student who's gifted in mathematics or who's gifted in verbal language abilities or artistically gifted, but spatially gifted is is something that I I don't even think that we're necessarily trained to identify, if that makes any sense. Um, how how would you um, advise teachers to to what would you ask us to be on the look for look out for? Well, I think I mean I I I think that you know certainly if you if you see students that who like to work with their hands, you know if they're always you know taking things apart or putting them back together, they like building things. Um, mm-hmm. That's usually a sign. Um, mm-hmm. I think for parents, you know, you see if you have a, have a kid who, you know, takes apart and puts, puts back together pretty much anything, that's that's really a good sign of a high spatial individual. Um, maybe they want to work on the family car a lot. Maybe they mm-hmm. um, like drawing, for example. So so there are a lot of different ways of, of you know, seeing that, I guess. 
And the other thing that um, when you're talking, I keep thinking of vocational education yeah. and how that's been trimmed from so much of, um, or the, it's lost a lot of focus and emphasis because the, of of our concern with standards and mm-hmm. different educational initiatives. And do you think we've done a disservice to the spatial, um, the spatially talented by taking away the vocational training programs? which incidentally were typically associated with um, average to maybe slightly above average IQ but not highly gifted. Well, that, that's, a great, that's a great point. Um, I, think, I certainly think that, you know, um, for whatever reason, we're, we have this large push today for everyone to go to college, um, mm-hmm. which for some students I think is great. Um, for others, though, it may not be the right fit. And, you know, certainly vocational education um, – you know, it, it's for whatever reason, culturally, we tend to not not value that as much for some reason. It's strange. Mm-hmm. But we really should because, you know, a lot of people can make a great living, in fact, an excellent living, um, with, a, with a very skilled trade. And I think that's something we should respect and we need to value. Um, well, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Go ahead. Yep. No, I went to school today, and we have um, a vocational program at our school. And as I was speaking with several of my students who are spatially talented, um, I realized they're not highly verbal. They may not express themselves that well. But as I listen to them talk about the cars and their areas of interest, they come alive. And Mm -hmm. um, that is we are truly, truly underserving a very important part of our population here. Yeah, and I, and I think we also tend to believe, you know, that they're not smart, too, which is kind of odd because, you know, they can create amazing, you know, mechanical things like a car, for example, um, which most of us can't really understand how that actually works. Um, and, and I think, you know, David Lohman has a paper who, which, which I really recommend to everyone, which is called, it's titled uh, Spatially Gifted but Verbally Inconvenienced. And it, what happens is that people who tend to be higher spatial also tend to be less verbally fluent. So they're less likely to be talkers, in a sense. And that, that kind of speaks to what you were mentioning there. Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't seem like when we ask about abstract, abstract concepts, um, making inferences, the, the typical classroom requirements for success, that they are able to verbalize what they're seeing, but right. they are certainly still seeing it in many ways. And, um I also found it interesting that most of the young men that I talk to today have sideline jobs. They have an income that most of their peers don't have because they're using their spatial abilities and talents to to create businesses for themselves or to work in businesses that already exist. And I think we're we're going to um, do a huge disservice to our economy in the future if we don't start tapping in to this segment of, of our, our education population, our students. Yeah, yeah, yeah I absolutely agree. And, and I think, you know, um, so so in some of my research we've with uh, David Lubinsky and Camilla Benbow, we, we basically showed across 50 years the spatial ability has predictive power above and beyond math and verbal ability in predicting STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Um, outcomes like earning a Ph.D., um, earning a patent, um, being in a STEM occupation, um, and so I think that w- what's going on now, uh, especially with, you know, the SAT and the ACT not including spatial measures, is that you've got high spatial students um, who are not as mathematical or verbal, who are actually, you know, they probably could actually benefit from a college education, but they're just not 
really getting in there um, because they're not they're they're not being identified as talented. Um, their talents aren't being developed, and so they probably are you know left outside the gates in that sense. Well, do and you think? I, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, Diane. go ahead. I was going to ask: Do you think that the college programs themselves may have to adapt a little bit to accommodate some of these learners who who are struggling? If we yeah, want, that's, if we go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. If we want to have them in a four-year program or a six-year program. Yeah, well, um, uh, Tom Baker and David DiBiase, they they actually uh, proposed this, an idea recently, um, where I was I was invited to contribute to a panel discussing the idea of a spatial university, and this is kind Ooh. of an interesting idea, you know, because it's uh, I think that students who are high spatial but not as mathematical or verbal would be highly served by such a university, you know, a place where um, like minds could gather. Um, and, and I think that, that that's how the curriculum could be tailored to them specifically. Um, the way universities are set up right now, they're, they're set up for mainly verbal people and then some, mm-hmm. some math. Um, but, but nowadays, universities are all about reading and writing um, and then doing some math. And I don't really – and engineering programs, of course, have the spatial component. But the people who are in those programs, because the SAT and the ACT select for math and verbal – that means that these students have high spatial, but they're also high math and high verbal as well. Do you think that at that point they may be missing the highest spatial because we have to rely so heavily on math and verbal scores? That's a good question. So so what, what David uh, Lubinsky and Camilla Benbo and I found is in Project Talent, which is a random sample of the nation's population, we found that uh, a large fraction of the very highest spatial uh, very um, top spatial individuals um, were lower in math and verbal. And so there certainly is a, a reasonably large population of people who have this profile of high spatial, lower math and verbal, um, and who simply probably are not, you know, probably not interested in being on a college campus if it's all, you know, reading and writing, um, but also are probably underserved if they are there too. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's an excellent, uh, I have to jump in there, excellent point, because as you're speaking, and I know uh, we've had these conversations, both Rebecca and I, about our own children, and I've explained to you as well, Jonathan, about my son. I definitely have one of these superior, visually, spatially talented individuals. And when you just talked about keeping their interest, this is the struggle we've had. He's now in higher education, and it's difficult. It's very difficult because you've got to get through all the basic things, which, of course, and and you nailed it, with his struggles have always been in in the math arena. Um, That's been one of his his lowest subjects and I had to homeschool him for a little while and discovered that it wasn't all a learning disability that some of it was coming from a communication ability and basically um, visually he couldn't math is a difficult thing to see when we are dealing with individuals like Temple says who think in pictures which he definitely does Um, it's you know math is very very abstract and uh, for me, it came easily, so it was. It's hard for me, and that's actually I'm jumping ahead to another question. We're going to get to in a moment, but something I want to point out is when we do talk about these kids, and you mentioned it, Becky, about how some of them, and I think you mentioned it as well, Jonathan, in your research, the top spatially um, um, talented individuals were the weakest in or their weakest skills were in the math area. 
he was at a vocational school for a little while where, um, again, it wasn't the school that was hands-on and it was wonderful. It became a social issue. He also has Asperger's syndrome. So that was the, the difficulties that were um, really hard as far as, as navigating those waters. Of course, he's matured a lot since then and doing very well. But when he was... Um, working with someone who recognized that talent, one of the professors had said, this kid isn't just smart under the hood of a car. Mechanics is his thing. He's scary smart. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, as a parent, I felt validated, but at the same time it made me weep because although knowing it, it's painful to know how his talents, just they're they're bottled and they're stuck. And when I look at his struggle now in a traditional university and we're looking at some alternative ways to try and combine um, traditional learning with some sort of vocational learning, just as Becky said, to keep him interested because that that's the real sad part. And um, when we look at um, our STEM programs, you know, I I think – um, I couldn't agree with you more about how do we get a spatial uh, recognition into the testing. And you had mentioned that there there are such tests. Can you tell us a little bit about that and maybe what what's being done to try and get that included with SATs and ACT entrance exams? Well, you know, I I, I don't I don't um, know how to change the uh, the college entrance exams. I just. I just know that spatial ability is something in the hierarchical model of intelligence that we know um, is separate from math and verbal. Um, under general mm-hmm. intelligence, those are the three major specific abilities, along with memory and other things. Um, but we know that we have reliable and valid measures of spatial ability that exist. In terms of, and when I when I talk about spatial ability, I'm talking about um, basically being able to mentally um, rotate in three dimensions, because that's really the key core skill. Um, and and, I, and basically, because we have these measures, um, it's, it's kind of odd in the sense that they're not actually used in K-12 education. If you think about any standardized test today, um, they're basically all math, English, um, basically verbal, some writing, maybe a science subtest, but there's really no spatial tests. Um, so, so if these tests aren't available in K-12 uh, consistently, then a lot of these students aren't going to be identified um, as talented, in a sense, the ones that are high spatial but lower math and verbal. And so they're probably going to be missed, and then that, and, that, and then their talent won't be developed because they're not identified. So. May I jump in real fast? Because I know sure. you're with um, the Talent Identification Program with Duke. Yeah. And um, I see when I'm administering the ACT, I will see um, seventh graders come in and, and take the ACT along with high schoolers. And I was wondering if you all have noticed a pattern perhaps um, along the ACT, the Explore, the Explore, the ACT, the plan, if there's a, a, a drop-off, like it, is there a predictor point where the math skills start dropping some, but even though spatial abilities may still exist, have you noticed as you've tried to identify a population, is is there some kind of marker that that you all discovered in these standardized tests that may exist that you all could probably maybe use as a predictor and say this person is probably spatially gifted or is, am I just wondering <laughs> esoterically? No, that's, that's, here, it's, just... 
it's very interesting. I, I don't know. Um, the problem is, is that there's not spatial measures in, in, included in the, any of these tests, right. and so um, I. All, all I know is that um, I think you, you have to be able to have that measure there to know if the student is um, spatially talented. You know, you, you, we actually have to have that measure. I don't know to what extent we can actually get at that. Um, but it makes me think about something I could look at in Project Talent, which is a random sample, and try to figure out an answer to that question, because it is a um, random sample. Yep. Yeah, I just was wondering, you know, maybe there is a pattern that, that at some point there starts to be a drop-off that maybe hasn't been recognized. And when we're talking about identifying these these, these children, um, the move nationally is toward um, screening in the early elementary groups within the general ed classroom. Um, and they use measures of creativity. Um, there, are, there are screenings for creativity. Um, I'm just wondering if those are also looking for special ability or not. Do you know if indeed anyone's um, started incorporating any of those screenings at the early elementary, or is this still just a desert as far as as identifying this talent goes? You know, I, I don't know what creativity measures you're talking about, um, mm -hmm. so I don't really know what they measure. I, to be honest with you, I think a lot of creativity measures, uh, we don't really know what they measure. I mean, I, I could argue that, you know, they measure intelligence, too, or something like that. Um, but some of them actually could be measuring spatial ability to some degree, but it has to do with really three-dimensional um, rotation. Okay. Again. Gotcha. Yep. Well, and as you were speaking, it made me think of some of the um, IQ testing that's done in the early ages. I know... Mm -hmm. Um, when my son was at the preschool age and we first discovered, of course, we thought due to some of his learning disabilities and his behavioral outbursts at a young age that um, he couldn't possibly be smart. We were really dissecting that. But when, um, I mean, smart in terms of certain areas where he excelled brilliantly until we sort of saw it in black and white. And I remember the examiner saying about his scores in the um, in the area of um, of intelligence testing on object assembly and you know looking back at four and a half and now he's 22 it makes perfect sense how it fits in with um, his ability to look at engines and take them apart and put them together yeah no that's a great example I think that uh, it's certainly there are some IQ tests with uh, spatial components to them and that will pick up um, Dr. Linda Silverman, are you familiar with her with the Gifted Development Center in Denver? Yes, yes, absolutely. And she she does a lot um, in the IQ testing, and it, it sounds like, again, and we talked briefly about this before the call, um, sharing information, collaboration. I can see where her work really, and of course she is about um, really getting these students recognized as well, and I think the more we can bring together um, any kind of measure that's going to help them be identified, and the earlier, of course, the better, where we can help direct their abilities. Yeah, I think it just needs to be a systematic kind of thing, but I don't know to what extent it's going to, how, how the change is going to happen. Um, I hope that what I've been writing about will help help towards that goal. So. 
Well, and one of the things that we I mentioned it, I started to mention it earlier, was in your article about three reasons why schools neglect spatial intelligence. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked a lot about standardized tests and how they don't include the spatial measures. But, yeah. um, and I know uh, Becky and I have talked about this a lot in our presentations, that um, you mentioned most teachers are not high spatial, and that is... Um, you know, going to the teacher's individual personality. How does that play into teaching these individuals and recognizing them? Well, in the article you mentioned, Three Reasons Why Schools Neglect Spatial Intelligence, there's a graph, and it's based on Project Talent again, which is the uh, stratified random sample of high school students in America. Mm-hmm. And basically in that in that graph, um, we, we basically break it down by people who uh, ended up in different uh, majors. And it turns out that um, in education... Um, teachers tend to be higher math and verbal and relatively lower in spatial. Um, and that's actually the inverse profile of, you know, the high spatial mm-hmm. but lower math and ver- uh, verbal student. Um, so teachers are like all of us. You know, I, I will relate to someone who's like me. Um, and I think that most teachers are, have this profile of strengths, and they probably have never really understood um, using spatial ability as much. Um, in their personal lives, and so it's very difficult to connect um, with a student or even identify that as talent, I think, and there's probably some kind of disconnect there. That's probably one reason, I think, um, why, uh, you know, uh, teachers neglect, or basically schools neglect spatial intelligence. So, Well, when, um, when you consider that spatial thinking is is a type of thinking it's not something you can just put take on put on and take off like a hat that most people will not even recognize or understand someone who thinks differently than they do and they will perceive them as somehow challenged or mm-hmm. different rather than seeing that there may be actually this gem or diamond in the rough that that needs cultivating in a different way and go seek that out um, so I, I can appreciate why it's so difficult for these children to be um, accepted, understood, and nurtured in a typical classroom. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that that's what's going on. So. And I, if I can make this connection, and please tell me if this is something that makes any sense to both of you. When you spoke earlier, Jonathan, about having a spatial university, of course, that excites me for my son. I think uh-huh. of that as that's that's the place when you get that and find out more about that. I would really love to know. Well, but, I think I think a lot of vocational schools could be considered spatial universities, you know, mm-hmm. already right, in a right. sense. So but we kind of have it. We of, don't call it a university, yeah. But it's but you're right. But it's that bridge of as I mentioned, he is trying to straddle both right now, trying to do uh, the vocational learning as well as traditional learning because he is seeking um, a higher degree. So sometimes you know you can only get certificate programs through um, or diplomas through vocational schools, and he would like to go further with his education. So I see that in my mind. I thought of it being a collaborative effort of both kinds of schools together. Um, But my point is, back to to teachers, when we look at how do we help these teachers through professional development, and I think, you know, somehow setting up or trying to integrate into our professional development for um, teachers at the K-12 through level 
through um, what's being done, you know, through the, the premise and the purpose of a spatial university, if we can somehow use that model to put into professional development, do you think that's something needs to be done more for uh, general educators? A- absolutely. Um, I actually just recently talked to Diana Sinton at the University of Redlands, and she is actually a big proponent of spatial literacy. So there's a lot of talk about math mm-hmm. literacy. Um, but she's actually making a big push for spatial literacy, and we were talking about it. And she's she also agrees that you know we really need to try to one day hopefully put this into some kind of teaching requirement. And I think it's not so much you have to have teachers who are high spatial. It's more about can you ha- just have teachers you know help teachers understand this kind of student exists in the classroom. You know here's how to you know identify them to some degree or at least have some signs there. And then at least they'll be aware, you know, because there's so many demands on a teacher's time. I can't imagine. Um, and so, but it, but it's, but it's important, you know, just to help them be aware. Just like to have have them be aware of, you know, gifted students, for example. So. But at the same time, I can also see, especially in the early grades, the value of having a spatial literacy program yes. because we all know how the brain grows and grows new pathways, it wires itself, and we can only enrich our children if we offer them another mode of thinking, another way of thinking, of of thinking about their world, um, just to play with it. Not that everyone will ever end up being a spatial learner, but to experience it, to become aware of it, and to help, um, you know, develop a couple of pathways in the process. And we ask everyone to... Um, do it linguistically and mathematically, why not spatially? Yeah, that's a great point. I think, you know, being able to um, basically look at a diagram, being able to interpret it is very important. Uh, Well, and if I may jump in there, a couple of things I thought of, and, I mean, you tell me from being in the classroom, Becky, and I know that we've talked about this in our presentations before, Sometimes when you get an understanding of where the behavior is coming from, if mm-hmm. you can just eliminate those behaviors, that's got to be a time-saving measure, not to mention embracing the student's potential. In a heartbeat, because let me tell you, um, I shared how I've let students build, I mean, just something as, as straightforward as, as the essay structure, build it with their hands using Legos. I've had my musical students actually compose a thesis statement and show me how the themes would be developed, the, the topics would be developed through an essay. And, and and once he did that, he understood how the essay structure works like a piece of music. My visual facial learner knows now that if, if we don't keep these different segments and colors together, then the piece is going to fall apart. So it's all about understanding different ways of thinking, allowing the um, student to experiment with it, allowing other students to see the experiment, and then in the process, um, everyone's richer for the um, experience. Well, and as Temple Grandin has mentioned, and I know we've talked about that a little bit tonight, that her her point is get them into their areas of strength and you'll mm-hmm. see them improve in their challenges. And socially, of course, and as you talked about, Jonathan, verbally, a lot of these children um, are not you know, really strong verbally, but when you get them in their area of strength, it's amazing what can come out of them <laughs> in a very mm-hmm. expressive kind of way. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I actually recently talked to uh, Matthew Peterson, who's at the Mind Research Institute, and he actually has a TED Talk, which is really interesting. I, I would recommend it to any, anyone listening. It's called Teaching Without Words. Um, and it's mm-hmm. great because he basically has devised this entire program to teach math visually. You know, And so he was dyslexic himself, and he developed mm-hmm. this entire program to teach math visually, and it's, it's really fascinating. It, it's worth a look. That sounds wonderful. Well, we couldn't agree with you more that many of these spatially talented kids have got the potential to create amazing things that can improve our lives and our society. We've written about that. We speak about it. We're very passionate about that. We believe that many of these children are possibly our next inventors and um, innovators and leaders. So if you could tell us, just leave us with some advice on uh, what parents and educators can do to help recognize and challenge those gifts and abilities? Well, I think the, the key thing to remember is that, you know, um, the, the the abilities of math and verbal, I mean, they're not the only abilities we should value. Um, there are highly spatial kids out there. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you if your student or your, your child is um, is working with their hands a lot, they like to, you know, build things, they like to take things apart, put them back together, um, I think those are all signs of um, high spatial talent, and you should just be aware of that. So. Well, and as well, Dr. Grandin says, too, we've got to get kids outside where they can um, be creative and build forts and build things. You're right, building things, putting things together. And when I, I think of my son before the cars, when he was probably less than 10 years old, if it was a bookcase or an entertainment center we had gotten, and um, he would be so excited. He would get the tools out for my husband. And and after a while, um, he could put them together faster than my husband could. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's really important to engage their interest. I mean, that's probably the main thing. So. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for your insight and for um, – just all your work to bring attention to this neglected segment of our population, but it the oh so important segment without whom we would have wouldn't have cars, we wouldn't have video games, we wouldn't have all the wonderful technology we rely on every day and um I hope that in the future we can just call more attention um to serving this population. I absolutely agree, thank you so much. Well, thank you again for coming, and we will um, certainly encourage everyone to follow your blog on Psychology Today and, of course, keep up with you on Twitter um, and and just stay in touch with all this wonderful research that you're in. Thank you so much for being our guest on the Coffee Clatch tonight. Thank you. You have a good evening. Thank you. Good night. Good night.